Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast, and what an exciting game on Thursday night. The opening game of the NFL season, the Thursday night game between the Cowboys and the Bucks. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better one. You couldn't ask for a more thrilling game that goes down to the wire uh, that is decided by, you know, last second drive. What a way to start the NFL season. To me, it felt like a December game. Two teams fighting for the playoffs. It looks like, you know, both teams are in midseason form. And again, what an ending. So, Brandon, you know, I bring you in here. I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, what you thought about the game, what you thought about the Bucks and the Cowboys. So first off, like you said, um, it, both of these teams, they look like they haven't really skipped a beat. They they look like they've been playing for, for six weeks already, and it was awesome to see Dak come back like nothing ever happened. Dak threw for 400 yards last night, and that's against the, the defense that tore Patrick Mahomes and company apart in the Super Bowl. So to be able to do that after coming back from such a serious injury is just awesome to see. Uh, I was also really impressed with Dallas's receiving core last night. Um, they were attacking the outside of the field. The Buccaneers' corners just, they, they couldn't contain him. C.D. Lamb looked awesome. Amari Cooper looked like he could be one of the best receivers in football this year. The Buccaneers, one thing that did concern me a little bit is that secondary, but, you know, when it came down to it, they were able they were able to hold it out. Their front seven was incredible in the running game like they were all of last year. Zeke, unfortunately, had him on fantasy, and he, he didn't do great at all. He averaged, like, two yards a carry. His biggest run of the night was about 12 yards, so... The teams are already kind of showing their identity, what they kind of want to be this year. But overall, I am I am really impressed with both teams so far. Tom Brady. I mean, this man could play up until he's 50 years old. He looks as sharp as ever. Obviously, he's been in this league for so long. He knows where to go with the football, the way he goes through those progressions. I mean, some of those throws, they were just like dimes. I mean, he hit like... Gronkowski early in the game into a tight window then do you remember that play with Antonio Brown when he went through the progressions and he found him on the deep ball I mean the ball was right on the money to AB obviously the comeback at the end you know nothing phases the man it looked like it's the that first Super Bowl for the Patriots remember when he was driving against the Rams and they got into field goal range and they kicked it 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 looked the same exact thing I mean, just marching down the field, being methodical with it. The man always amazes me. I have to take my hat off to him. And it's been said so many times before, but he just keeps getting it done. And when you do it at such a high level at 43 years old, obviously he's got a great supporting cast with Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, you know, A.B., Godwin. I mean, I get that. And they have a good offensive line, but... It's just so amazing to see because I saw Joe Montana when he was already like in the latter part of his career when he left the 49ers and went to the Kansas City Chiefs. He didn't play like that, okay? I mean, he led them into the playoffs, I think a divisional playoff game, which they lost. But he looked like he was already ready to retire. You know, Tom Brady could still play for another five or six years. 
Yeah, no, you're completely right. And it's crazy. They were showing how good Tom Brady is at getting the football out. I mean, his that's, you know, one of Tom Brady's stamps is how good he is at getting the ball out fast. And they were showing last night that his release time was like 0.3 seconds. It was it was one of the fastest in his career. And you're in, you're in year 22. So the man is, is showing that age does not exist for him. He's aging like a fine wine. And like you said, some of the throws he made were just incredible. That one throw to Antonio Brown. I also want to give Antonio Brown his credit on that route because um, that quick step he had, like that jab step when he was running the streak, got him four yards of separation. And there's not a lot of receivers that can get that much separation when a guy's running, you know, step for step with you. You know, Brady was able to step into his throws and launch it 40 yards downfield. And the dude looked like he was a 25-year-old quarterback. It's you know, and every year we're questioning, is this going to be the year that Brady... I don't think there's ever going to be a year that Brady's not going to be the man. I think he's going to retire when he wants to retire. There hasn't been anything to ever show us that he, he has any signs of slowing down or not being the player he is. I think Brady could have a better season than last. I really do. I agree with you about AB. Like, Antonio Brown just looks rejuvenated. It looked like his career was over. Obviously, the Steelers got rid of him. Then he had that bad run with, with the Raiders. It didn't turn out well. And, it, you know, the Bucks picked him up, and it looked like it might be a failed experiment once again. But he looks like a different player again. He looks like the old AB that we saw with the Steelers that was putting up the huge numbers. He's a great route runner. He knows how to get open. Obviously, that's his calling card. And it's just good to see that he got his life in order, it seems like address some of the issues that he's had off the field and on the field once again he looks like he is in really good shape and ready to go what do you think of that call at the end of the game if you're the referee brandon and you see that play right in front of you where godwin pushed off do you make that call is that an offensive pass interference call in your book. I could see why a lot of people were upset about that call, but in my eyes, I'm not calling that. Um, I didn't see, like, a severe enough extension of the arm, you know? If anything, I thought he was kind of just filling the gap. Maybe there was a slight extension, but the thing is, if they call that OPI, there's going to be half of the people saying that's not pass interference on the offense. So people are just going to pick and choose with ones that are that close, but... In my eyes, I don't think that's one you call. I don't think Corner did it. He did a good job selling it in, in a way. He also was kind of falling backwards, so his momentum was bringing him away from him at, at the time of, of the slight arm extension. But in my book, I'm not calling that one. I can understand why some others might. Those play calls are really inconsistent. Like another team of referees, they would call that. Because it looked like it was a push-off. It, was, it looked like a Michael Irvin type of push-off. I mean, he did extend, and the guy went to the ground. If he didn't push off, I don't think the, the cornerback would have fallen down like that to the ground. It's a tough call to make, but I would make it because there was intent. It looked like, I mean, Godwin extended to get open, and he was able to catch it. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever, 10 seconds left on the clock or if it's in the first quarter. You have to be consistent. I felt like the, the referees... Didn't throw a flag, kind of swallowed it a little bit, decided to let them play. And I'm all for that, but you have to be consistent. Let them play all the time like that then. I don't want to see a call like that in week two go against somebody. And then people are going to say, well, how about week one? 
when the Bucks, you know, beat the Cowboys. Why wasn't that called? That's probably my biggest problem. The referees have a hard job. They really do. But you have to be consistent. You either call it or you don't call it. Week in and week out, game in and game out. I don't see that enough from the referees out there. And that's that's probably my biggest concern out here. I feel bad for Greg Zerline, you know, the Cowboys kicker. He kicked that field goal with, what, 130 left on the clock to give the Cowboys a lead. But, man, he missed two of them. One of them was from 60, but he also missed an extra point. And that's really a tough one. Zerline was having a tough night. I think the commentator said that he was dealing with a back issue. It's tough to kick when you've got issues with, with your back. It's a tough way to lose because, again, the Cowboys had the chance. I mean, he missed a point after. He missed one field goal that was from like 33, I think. The 60-yard field goal, I don't hold it against him. But that was a tough break. It's kind of sad to see, you know, kind of the fall down to Greg Zerline because you remember his days back with the Rams. He's one of the better kickers in the league. But I honestly thought before he made that last field goal, I thought his job, it could be up for crabs in week one. You just, you know, you have a chance to go toe-to-toe with the defending Super Bowl champions. And if he makes those kicks, there's a serious chance that the Cowboys end up winning that game. I think the fact that he was able to make that kick at the end kind of gives him kind of gives him his second chance. But I got a question for you. Do you agree with kicking that field goal with a minute 30 left with giving Brady one timeout still? Look, it was obvious that the Cowboys were driving for the touchdown, but I do agree with it. There's no way you can go for it on fourth down and kind of just not give the opportunity to take the lead. You're in position to kick the three points and take the lead. It doesn't matter if it's against Brady. I mean, that's the correct play. I don't understand how you would go for it on fourth down. Do you understand that they would just fire Mike McCarthy after him making a gutsy call like that? If it doesn't work out, you kick the field goal there 100% of the time. It certainly came back to bite them, but there's no way you can go for it right there. Even if you have Dak. Even if you have C.D. Lamb and, or Amari Cooper, they can get open like A.B. There's no way that I could justify going for it. I kick the field goal every time. And I'm not disagreeing with you. This is just a, a top of a conversation I've been seeing since that play yesterday. But the Buccaneers' defense, they looked good on, that, on the last drive other than, other than the last few plays. But if you don't get it, obviously, like you said, Mike McCarthy's job is probably long gone. You know, I, I agree with kicking the field goal. It just stinks because... You know if you're giving Brady the ball back with a minute 30, your chances of winning that game are probably slim to none. Yeah, but you got to kick that field goal 100% of the time because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe a strip sack or something like that, right? No, I agree. You know, a a fumble. Maybe the wide receiver would fumble it like Chris Godwin did, right? Near the end zone. You 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 got two interceptions off of dropped passes as well from the Buccaneers. So, you know, you, you could always be hoping for something like that. It's just... It's unfortunate that the Cowboys' defense wasn't able to come through, but I agree that that was the right call. But they did play a lot better than they played all season last year, right? I mean, the defense was flying around, and they were making some plays. They came up with some turnovers. They came up with some big plays, some big stops, right? Especially when Godwin fumbled it, and they picked it up and uh, didn't allow a touchdown. So I would say the Cowboys were opportunistic in this game and they they took care of it i mean that defense i think is going to get better as the season goes along and i became more confident with my pick 
that the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East when I saw that game against the Bucks. If they play like that every week consistently, this team is going to be the one to beat in the NFC East. Oh, I 100% agree with you, and that's that's also another point I wanted to mention to you. If Dak Prescott keeps playing like this, I see them beating out Washington. I still kind of want to hold on to my hopes that Washington wins the division, but, I mean, Dak Prescott just looked incredible. And like you said, that defense looks completely rejuvenated from last year. Uh, Micah Parsons, you know, I thought for his first game, he, he looked pretty solid for a rookie, especially going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Um they sent him on quite a few blitzes. He wasn't able to necessarily get the sacks, but he got quite a few pressures that I saw. For a rookie, I really liked what I saw out of him, and Demarcus Lawrence was able to show that he could still be that disruption on the defensive line. So I liked what I saw from him, and I, I really do think that this Cowboys defense, if, if they could do that week one against the defending Super Bowl champs, you know, they're in one of the weaker divisions. They have like four easy games in that division, so that's four potential wins right there. So yeah, I might have to agree with you that the Cowboys, if they play like that, they're taking the division. No ifs, ands, or buts. Last week, you did pick Dak to win the MVP award, right? Uh, I believe I picked him to win Offensive Player of the Year. I saw Peter King release his column, and he said that Matthew Stafford is going to throw for like 6,000 yards. He's going to put up huge numbers. The Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. Well, you know what? On a separate note, if Dak keeps playing like this, he's going to throw for 6,000 yards. Agreed. Brandon. Agreed 100%. And that was one of the worst games I've ever seen out of Zeke. She's showing that he is not the running back he was. Even last year was a down year for him. And he's shown that he's, you know, I know it's one game, but that was a very, very sad showing out of Zeke. So they're going to be throwing the ball a lot this year. I know they do like Tony Pollard, but he's not in every down back. So, And you threw the ball 60 times last week, so you know you're going to want to throw the ball a lot this year. With that extra game, I'm going to predict right now that Dak does break the all-time passing record. All right, you heard it here first. We're going to preview a few of the key games in Week 1 action. Obviously, every game is going to take place on Sunday. And let's start with the Browns versus the Chiefs, Brandon. What are the keys? To this game, uh, what do you think are the keys for the Browns? And what do you think are the keys for the Chiefs if they want to come out victorious? So the number one key for the Browns, I think, is is getting pressure from Mahomes. You know, the Chiefs, they have a good line roster, but it, you have new pieces. So it's always tough to, you know, implement these important positions that are all new guys and, you know, have them just clicking week one. You have Miles Garrett and Clowney, two guys that are really hungry to prove themselves as one of the best pass rushing duos in the league. So those guys can get consistent pressure on Mahomes. You saw you saw it in the Super Bowl last year. You know Mahomes Mahomes is one of the most talented players we've ever seen in the history of the world. But when you have him running back there for his life, it, there's only so much that man can do by himself. So I think we have the depth at the defensive line to get that pressure now. Not even including Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. We have I like what they have at the, uh, the defensive tackle with Andrew Billings and Malik Jackson. I really think getting that pressure is huge for Cleveland, as well as simply getting just getting the run game started. You have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I'm not impressed with the Chiefs' defense really, especially in the run game. So I think you you feed Nick Chubb and you feed Kareem Hunt obviously controlling the clock. You want the ball in Mahomes' hands as few times as possible and as little time as possible. So if you can run the ball, consistently pick up first downs, and just take care of the football, just be smart with the football, that's really what the Browns need to do. Um, the Chiefs, it's it's obvious that this is what they're going to do, but I would like to see them attack Cleveland's secondary. If they want to win, I think you go after a lot of guys like Greg Newsom. He's a rookie, so 
I have high hopes for Greg Newsom, but if you're asking him to, you know, go out there and cover Tyreek Hill, obviously I don't think he's going to win that assignment. You have an opportunity to attack uh, Jeremiah Usu Koromoa or Mac Wilson, who's going to be covering Travis Kelsey, which I think they don't stand a chance doing. Um, I think Usu Koromoa absolutely has the athleticism to do so, but as a rookie, he just he's never ever had to cover somebody like Travis Kelsey. So um, I think just attacking the young guys on defense. You know, we got Grant Delpit back to play safety, so a lot of new pieces on that Browns uh, defense. Not even not even just rookies. There's seven new starters, so um, kind of just picking them apart. It doesn't matter how talented that roster is right now. It, it takes time to develop chemistry with one another, so um, I really think if you can pick on the younger guys in the secondary, the Chiefs can pull a win out. Do you think that the Chiefs are going to change it up a little bit during week one? We all expect explosive plays. We all expect them to hit a few deep shots to Tyreek Hill or get Kelsey over the middle and he can pick up yards after the catch. But do you think the Chiefs will feature the run game a little bit more? Knowing that they have three new starters on the right side. I mean, they've got a new center. They've got a new right guard. They've got a new right tackle who's a second-year player, but... He missed the entire year last year, so they've got basically three rookies. It's a lot easier to run block than to pass block. Do you expect the Chiefs to keep up with the Browns a little bit, especially in the beginning, that they will feature the running game a little bit more? You know, I I think they will. I know they like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and like you said, it is so much easier to to run block than than pass block, and and Cleveland's got good pass rush, so. Um, I think you take advantage of that right now. A lot of our guys are built for pass rush, so attacking the run game wouldn't be a bad idea. It also uh, helps open the play-action game, which you know the Chiefs don't do a bunch of, but the Browns last year, they struggled when they t- played teams with play-action, but we also last year really struggled in the run game. So if that trend continues to, to go on into this year, I don't know why the Chiefs wouldn't you know like to run the ball a little bit more this game. Browns need to control the clock like Brandon said they have to run 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 the football you can't put Baker in there and let him throw like 40 50 times a game that's not your game don't try to get into this this match with Patrick Mahomes because the Chiefs can just strike in a matter of seconds they can hit that deep shot for 80 yards that's it they're up seven to nothing and the Browns' best way is just to keep Mahomes on the sideline, run, run, run football, get Baker a little bit off of those play-action passes where he feels more comfortable. You know, a lot of people are saying, obviously, how are the Browns going to keep up with the Chiefs' receivers? Because, I mean, their secondary is inexperienced. But I also think, like, the Chiefs are going to struggle keeping up with the Browns' receivers. Yes, they've got Tyron Matthew, but I think a corner... I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm totally confident with those guys. I think the Browns can also take advantage with Jarvis Landry, with OBJ. And they've got a couple of those tight ends as well. They they can get over the middle of the field. So I think we're underestimating a little bit. I, the Browns also have an advantage there against the Chiefs secondary. I don't disagree with you. I think the Browns have more depth in the receiving with their receiving core as well. Um, obviously, they don't have the top-tier playmakers that the Chiefs do, but I'm not super big on the Chiefs secondary. I just think this is a game where you really can't afford any turnovers, so I think they're going to kind of hold back on letting Baker, you know, really let it loose this game. Um, I think, you know, come week three and four, they're really going to start to let Baker 
kind of sling it out a little more, but I think they really, really want this revenge game, you know, because the Chiefs were able to beat out uh, Cleveland in the divisional round last year, and Baker had a pretty solid game, but Browns were able to show that, they, you know, they could have they could run against the Chiefs, so I think it is going to be a predominantly running game, but I think, I think Jarvis and OBJ, they can really uh, help stretch that field and eat that outside of the field. So are the Browns going to pull off this upset? against the Chiefs away. So my my score prediction is 34-31 Chiefs. I can't give it to my boys quite yet just because like I said I'm I'm a little skeptical on I want to see the new pieces on defense play together before I, you know, give them their how I think they're going to be for the season and also it's in KC in one of the hardest places to win in the world. And on top of that the Browns we are just not a week one team. We haven't won a season opener since 2004. And it's hard for me to convince myself that we're going to do it against, you know, a, a Super Bowl favorite right now. I, I'm expecting a very, very competitive game. I'm expecting it to come, to come down to the last drive. And I will say I won't even be incredibly surprised if we win. I'll be, I'll be impressed, but I won't be surprised. If the ball is in KC's hands to win the game... I see Casey's offense beating out Den- uh, Cleveland's defense. I can't see all these new pieces being the reason that Cleveland wins this game. If the ball's in Patrick Mahomes' hands, this Browns defense right now isn't stopping it. Well, I picked the Browns to win the Super Bowl, so I'm picking them to win this game. All right. Yes, that that's a huge stat that the Browns haven't won an opening game in like you know 16, 17 years. And Andy Reid is really good on opening week whether it was with the eagles or with the chiefs in arrowhead he's got like an amazing record in september i'm going against all odds here all common sense common sense says take the chiefs at home taking the browns away another game on tap the steelers versus the bills ed hunt's team versus josh allen tj watt was just signed to a big time contract he's finally out there he missed the entire camp, but he's going to play during week one. You know he's going to be ready. You know he's stayed in shape. He's one of the best defensive players in the game. So Steelers versus the Bills, is this going to be a game that's going to be decided in the trenches? I Yep, 100% it is. I do think the Bills take this one because really I think all you need right now to beat the Steelers team is pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, you, you can make a strong argument that this is one of the worst offensive lines in football. They got a lot of new pieces. They lost a lot of people. And you know, Ben Roethlisberger, he's obviously he's not the not the quarterback he once was and he's slowed down a little bit and I just I really think if you can get that pressure, I have faith in in Buffalo secondary to win these one-on-one matchups against the Steelers receiving core and, and not discrediting the Steelers receiving core in any way. They they have some talented players such as Claypool and Juju and even Deontay Johnson, but I love Buffalo's secondary. I love Buffalo's defense as a whole, but I really think that defensive line is going to be able to help um, absolutely tear the Steelers' offensive line apart and kind of it, expose it in a way. If I'm the Steelers, you got to try to run the football as much as you can. You know, you have Najee Harris, our first-round pick. I just think you got to try to take advantage of that right now. You don't have these guys that can, you know, pass block for you for four or five seconds it's just not going to happen especially against a team that was in the AFC championship last year so as long as the Bills defensive line wins this battle I don't see how they don't win this game well Brandon already mentioned I mean this defensive line is a lot better than it was last year Uh, these guys played well during preseason there was a lot of hype around them 
in training camp. And we're talking about, you know, Jerry Hughes, Gregory Rousseau, A.J. Epineza. These guys are going to help. I mean, the Bills secondary has been great uh, with Sean McDermott. And now they've got the defensive line. You know, they've drafted some of these guys really high. Rousseau is a, a first-round pick. A.J. Epineza is a second-round pick. So they've invested in it, and it seems like it's it's paying off. So, yeah, the only shot that the Steelers have is to run the football. They've invested a lot of money in Najee Harris by making him a first-round pick. you got to do it. It's not about surprising people here. You just have to go back to the old Steeler way of football, just running the football, pounding the rock, getting those four or five yards, and continuing and getting Big Ben in those third and three, third and four situations. And then those wide receivers can win there. When you have Juju and, you know, you've got Deontay Johnson, you've got Chase Claypool. Those are some serious dudes. Uh, they, they can win those matchups. Let's run the football on first and second down. The Bills know it. So I don't think there should be any element of surprise. But there are a lot of things working against the Steelers. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They've got, you know, a revamped offensive line. Big Ben is is not Tom Brady. I mean, he has slowed down already. So I hope the Steelers can keep it close. But just, you know, everything says that the Bills are going to win this game. And that's who I'm picking. And the last game that we're going to recap, we're going to talk about the Dolphins versus the Patriots just because, you know, Bill Belichick versus his pupil, Brian Flores. Mac Jones getting his first start against Tua. Both defenses are really good. Both secondaries are excellent based on what we saw last year. Should I take the under here? Is this like a 12 to 10 type of game? I would take the under this game. You know, Tua last year, he he threw 11 touchdowns and what, eight picks in, in his starts or something, something like that. It was not an impressive ratio at all. And, you know, Mac Jones is what we saw out of preseason was it was the, the traditional Patriots system, you know, get the ball out quick, accuracy, quick throws, smart throws, not necessarily deep down the field. And like you said, I like both of these defenses a lot. I think the, the Dolphins have one of the more underappreciated defenses in the league. I really like guys like Jerome Baker are some of the more underappreciated linebackers in the league, I think. I, you know, that's somebody I've wanted to to be on the Browns for a long time I love that guy and then you got Xavier Howard you just you got talent across the board and then the the Patriots have they've proven that this uh preseason that they have talent like what whether it's from rookies or starters they have talent on the defensive side of the ball I don't know if I if I have faith in Tua to necessarily you know make that jump in week one he has gotten a lot of weapons this offseason such as they bring in Will Fuller and draft Jalen Waddle I think this is going to be a running game though I think you feed Miles Gaskin I really like Miles Gaskin but I can't see this being a game where you you know you kind of put it into his hands to go out there and sling it uh, I really think this game's going to be about clock management taking care of the football running the football winning on third downs there's no need to try to go out there and score you know 25 plus points um as as long as you take care of the football you know these are two very very young quarterbacks and mac jones obviously getting his first start ever i don't think bill belichick's gonna put him in a situation to have to go out there and you know be the reason that football team wins he has to be the reason they don't lose though putting him in the easier situations kind of getting him to true true nfl game speed so i i'd take the under on this one 
I'm going with the Pats, though. I'm going with the Pats. I love Bill Belichick, and I, I do love Brian Flores. I don't want to discredit him at all, but you know that the Patriots offense is incredibly upgraded from last year. You, you have solid tight ends, and I think Jonu Smith is really going to help with Mac Jones to be that security blanket, uh, be underneath for him. I like the Patriots in this one. So you're taking the home dog, huh? I am. The home team usually wins more than the away team. Now that you've got fans in the stands, you've got that atmosphere, but it's tough. I mean, when you've got a rookie quarterback, it's tough to win in this league. And we know that Zach Wilson is starting at Carolina. You know, Trevor Lawrence is on the road against the Texans. And now we've got Mac Jones here at home versus the Miami Dolphins. I've been kind of going back and forth in this game. I've been like, you know, kind of on the fence. One day I like the Dolphins, another day I like the Pats. But I am going to go with the Patriots. I just think that they've got a revamped defense. They've got a good secondary. They've got like a two, three-headed monster in the backfield. I know that Damian Harris is going to be the lead dog, but I'm sure we'll see some Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I think Mac Jones is going to be efficient. I think he's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to do anything crazy, and I don't think he has to. He doesn't have to make those plays. I mean, they're going to try to put him in those favorable situations on third down. He's going to get his win in his first start. All right, week one, stay tuned for it. Obviously, the the Thursday night game was absolutely amazing. It certainly surpassed everyone's expectations, and I hope we get a couple of more games like that on Sunday history tells us we will but let's switch gears a little bit and go to college football and you know it seems like every year people are always asking the question I mean is Alabama going to be able to rebound are they going to win again and every year those skeptics are saying well they lost Mac Jones you know they lost you know Steve Sarkeesian you know they lost a couple of pieces on the offensive line there's no way they can reload I mean that defense is starting from scratch because I mean I mean we're getting like five or six guys that are getting drafted from Alabama every year can Nick Saban reload and obviously he recruits really really well if week one is any indication it doesn't really matter whether Tua is back there or Mac Jones is there or Bryce Young is there. Every year, Alabama just reloads and gets these guys ready to play. And Bill O'Brien, who's the new offensive coordinator at Alabama, they didn't miss a beat by Steve Sarkeesian not being there. I'm just amazed by it, the intensity, the execution, uh, the way Nick Saban gets this team ready. It's like Bill Belichick. I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick was a good teacher of his because they were in Cleveland together when Belichick was the head man and uh, Nick Saban was his defensive coordinator. They almost got some things done there. I know it was before your time, Brandon, but they almost got some things done there before they, they pulled the plug on that coaching staff. Nick Saban never recovered after that. Saban tried it with the Dolphins for two years. He realized he wasn't going to be able to do that. He left and came back to college. And he is the king of college football. Nick Saban is the best college football head coach of all time. It's not even up for debate. Nick Saban has solidified himself as the greatest of all time years ago. Like you said, they have however many first-round draft picks um, coming out each and every year. 
they don't skip a beat. And the, it, that just goes to prove that until Nick Saban is gone, I don't think Alabama will ever not be at least a top four team. Simply because Nick Saban gets who Nick Saban wants. He gets whatever crew he really wants because everybody and their mom knows that Alabama is going to be competitive. It doesn't really even matter who is gone because you come out to these kids in high school and you tell them, oh yeah, Nick Saban wants you to go play for him and you're, he's a five-star recruit. If they know they're the best of the best, they're not going to choose another school because they know they're going to get playing time with the best program in college football. And it also just goes to show how good of a of a program Alabama is and not even like the way they run things. It's it's unbelievable. It's I had the pleasure of um, working with... Um, uh, somebody named Matt Lesser, who was an equipment manager at Alabama, and he said just the way Alabama ran every day was like they were a professional football team. If you drop one pass, you're paying for it. They require absolutely nothing except for excellence. If it's not the best, it's not acceptable. And, you know, he, he was able to see every day that if you weren't the best person that day, guess what? You you kind of you kind of lose your chance because there's somebody that was going to be the best that day. So they have implemented the idea that perfection is the only way to be, and they somehow managed to get it out of these players each and every year. It's incredibly impressive to me. Look, Alabama played against Miami. Miami is supposed to be one of the top teams in the ECC, and they absolutely demolished them 44-13. to Miami has a really good quarterback, really good college quarterback, and De'Ara King. Miami's defense is no slouch out there. I mean, they have got some pieces. And the way Alabama took care of business, it was almost like they were playing against an FCS school. And they're playing against Mercer this week, by the way, this Saturday, which is an FCS school. And then they've got Florida the following week on September 18th. I don't think Florida has a chance. Do you think... Georgia can legitimately you know, rise up to the challenge in the SEC championship game. They don't play until the SEC championship game if they're to meet. But Georgia has got to play better offensively than it did against Clemson last week. Defensively, I loved what I saw out of Georgia. You know, I thought they sent some awesome blitz packages and stuff. They were able to you know, cause an insane amount of distress on the quarterback. It's just like you said, you, you're not going to beat Alabama if you score 13 points or, or whatever it was. It's just, it's not going to happen. You know, Alabama sh- just showed that they, they could put up 44 points against one of the one of the top teams. I don't think Georgia's going to be able to do it. I don't. I, like, I didn't think Clemson's defense was good enough to make Georgia's defense look, or Georgia's offense look that bad. So I can't imagine their offense being any better against Alabama's. You know, there's there's no reason for me to think that. Until they, you know, throughout the season proved to me that they can be better offensively, I think Alabama actually runs away with that game. I mean, obviously it's just week one. We don't want to overreact, but Alabama looks like the favorite to win the college football playoff and become the national champion again. I agree, and it, it's an unbelievable because, you know, there's people saying that this is, you know, one of Alabama's worst receiving cores in, you know, four-plus years because they've had guys like Jerry Judy and... Henry Ruggs for all these years, but it's like, that's discrediting a lot of these guys, man. You know, Jameson Williams, he's he's probably going to get himself a very, very high draft pick. I don't think there's a more impressive roster, obviously, and they just, they have proven that they're going to, they are the team to beat right now. You know, Georgia struggled pretty bad. I mean, defensively, they're awesome, but offensively, they really, really struggled against Clemson. And I just, if this is what we're seeing out of these two teams right now, I think it's, could almost run away with Alabama right now, which is, it, it, like you said, it is only week one, but 
it's your safest bet. It always will be. Alabama is a factory for the NFL. And it always was under Saban defensively. They always seem to have guys in the secondary. They always seem to produce guys on the defensive line. But then the wide receivers kind of rose up, right? Well, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Henry Rugg, Jerry Judy, uh, Amari Cooper. We can go on and on out there. So the wide receivers, right? Then the running backs kind of followed. The quarterbacks were kind of lagging behind. I mean, people were always saying, like, oh, the quarterbacks aren't that good. A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy, right? And now, Tua gets drafted, you know, in the top five. Mac Jones gets drafted 15th overall. Bryce Young, a very good recruit, five-star guy. Exactly what the NFL is looking for in terms of the guy that can make some things happen in the pocket and with his feet. Alabama doesn't have any weak spots anymore. You know, they used to always say like, oh, they don't have the quarterbacks, but now they do. The offensive line, every year, they, they seem to have a, a high draft pick on the offensive line in the first round. I mean, if I was a, a big time high school recruit, like you said, Brandon, I wouldn't be able to say no to Nick Saban. And yeah, exactly. And like, like you just mentioned, they've always had the positions except for, you know, having quarterbacks and stuff. But their last three starting quarterbacks, you know, like with the exception of, you know, this year, they're all starters in the NFL now. It's just unbelievable to show that they can get these guys in high school that they, you know, they're confident. You know, I can build it. They might be raw, but, you know, four or five star recruit, I could build them to be an NFL level quarterback. You know, it's not like, you know, you had A.J. McCarron, who was who was awesome in, in Alabama, but not in the NFL, you know, great in the NFL. But now you're starting to get guys that can show that, you know, they can be successful at the next level. And if they're successful at the next level, that means they're they're likely only elevating Alabama even more than they have been in than previous quarterbacks. There's no reason for me to think that, you know, two years from now, they're not they're not going to be starting another quarterback that will be starting for an NFL team. You know, in in three years, it's it's just unbelievable how they've been able to go from position to position and have just the best at that position in college football year in year out. It's it's just ridiculous. Enjoy the games in college football on Saturday, and obviously enjoy Week One of the NFL on Sunday. And we'll come back next week to basically do a recap Week One action, and then continue to preview. Week 2 action of the NFL. Thank you for listening, guys. Take care.